0: Coming up on this edition of AM on the FM, Otani, Otani, and more Otani. Just kidding. We will discuss the logistics of a potential Otani trade to the Rangers, the running back position, and the crime being committed against it in the NFL, Zach Martin. A little bit upset with the Dallas Cowboys, that and more plus. We'll chat with rising sports and social media mastermind Michael Beer as we tune in to the creator Spotlight. All of that and more coming up, so tune in! It's AM on the FM.
1: Sports, entertainment, music, and so many types of chaos, all on the same
0: wavelength. It's AM on the FM. Don't you dare touch that dial. Your quote of the day today, ladies and gentlemen, when in doubt, don't. From the great Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, quote of the day is going to be something we do here each and every episode of AM on the FM. As you all probably know, on the live version, the segment version uh, on the radio, we do a question of the day. Not really as feasible here on the podcast version. So we're going to do a quote of the day. And when in doubt, don't. I wish I would have heard that about uh, seven months ago. If you know, you know. But... Funny to get into here. As you heard in the open, we will have our first interview in the creator spotlight uh, that is going to be with Michael Beer, a dear friend of mine and a guy that you have probably seen all over your social media everywhere. He is a engagement machine. He's an intern with the Foul Territory podcast slash show doing all kinds of great stuff within the baseball world during the Cowboys season. He is an analytics machine when it comes to social media. So going to be really fun to put him under the creator spotlight and catch up with him and uh, get to know some of the beauty behind the madness that is, you know, the sports world, especially the world of sports social media. But there is tons to talk about in the world of sports this week. We will start. Uh, with something that has been talked about for a very long time now, but it has been even more prominent this week as we get closer to the MLB trade deadline, and it is starting to get some of that national rub, if you will. The Texas Rangers are widely expected to be buyers at the deadline. No shock there. Uh, A shock if you were to say that seven months ago, sure. But... Uh, Right now, no shock at all. But ESPN put out some potential uh, Shohei Ohtani trades, and their staff proposed a trade for the Texas Rangers to acquire Mr. Ohtani's services. And the proposed deal reads like this. You give up from the farm. Your right-handed pitcher, uh, early draft pick last year, Brock Porter, Jack Leiter, your first-round pick a couple of years ago, then you give up your utility man, your left fielder, your sometimes designated hitter. What have you? Power hitting Ezekiel Duran, second baseman Justin Foskey, another fir- uh, former first-round pick, and then outfielder Yason Moro Bell. Um I will just go ahead and say no. Uh-uh, no. I mean be- It's hard. It's hard to not be married to the idea that some of these prospects could be really, really good. Um, But we don't know. We absolutely don't know if these guys are going to pan out to be what we think they're going to be. Some of these guys are teenagers still. Some of these guys are in their early 20s, and some of these guys just don't pan out the way you expect. I mean, look at Jack Lider. He was kind of, he wasn't exactly as hyped as Paul Skeens was this year out of LSU. But coming out of Vanderbilt, Jack Lider was highly, highly regarded. Now we're asking if Jack Lider is ever going to develop. We're asking if he's ever going to be what we thought he was going to be. Lider has not had the ideal start to his tenure as uh, a Texas Rangers farmhand. Um, So then you have guys like Evan Carter that, you know, he's drafted at 19. And people are like, what are you doing with that pick? And now look at him at, I believe, just 21, 22 years old. He is absolutely raking. Like earlier this week, I want to say Tuesday night uh, down in the farm, he had a home run, a triple, and two walks. Like, this is an incredible hitter that also can be a plus defender in the outfield. So, you just don't know. People doubted the Evan Carter pick, and here we are asking when is he going to be on the major league roster? Uh, It's really easy to get married to the idea of of these guys being really, really good. The reality of them being really, really good is totally different. Uh, So I think it's a win that, in this proposal, you don't have Evan Carter included. I think Brock Porter is a guy that could be a franchise cornerstone in your rotation. He is really, really good. Um, So giving up Brock Porter is scary, but it's something I would do for Shohei Otani. Ezekiel Duran is the one where I'm like, no, (laughs) because... He is so valuable on this team right now. I mean, the the power hitting to left field. Um, not exactly consistent in the at-bats. Not exactly 100% consistent defensively, but a solid defender. Um, he's an exciting player that I'm not exactly ready to give up now because he's on the Major League roster. But I know that it's the best player potentially in the history of baseball that we're talking about with Shohei Otani. So I understand there's going to be a premium there. It's just, you're talking about some of your top end prospects on top of a major league player that is contributing to your success right now in return for one guy that will contribute to your success, but obviously two way player you're expecting the power hitting like, Comparing him to Ezekiel Duran in terms of the power hitting, you're getting a better, more pure power hitter in Shohei Otani. That's fine. It's just when you look at everything, on top of the fact that he would be a one year rental, because I don't expect him to re-sign with the Texas Rangers, especially if they win. If the Rangers go on to win with Shohei Otani, and they win the World Series, they win a World Championship. Shohei Otani his price just skyrockets even more past that $600 million mark. One, you already have a ton of salary on the books going forward, but two, there's going to be other teams willing to overpay that, especially on the West Coast that puts him closer to home in Japan. Don't think that you need to be giving up that much for a one-year rental. If you're going to give up... Anything for a one year rental Marcus Stroman is out there, you know uh in terms of starting pitching, I do think another quality bat would be cool, but I don't think that's your priority right now. I think your priority is starting pitching and bullpen help. Um, I would be very shocked if the Texas Rangers do not acquire another starting pitcher at the deadline. I would be shocked. I do think both bullpen and rotation help will be at least attempted at. Uh, but I think starting pitching, I think people might be overlooking it a little bit. Andrew Heaney's already uh, surpassed his season total in innings pitched uh, from last year. Martin Perez does not exactly look good. Nathan Ivaldi's velocity is starting to drop, even though he's still giving you quality work. The velo is down. The innings pitched down. John Gray, not exactly consistent, but still a dominant force when he's on. Lots of uh, variables at play there with the starting pitching. So That's my two cents on the Otani thing. Would it be cool? Yes. Would it be an awesome PR move? Yes. I just think the price is going to be too steep, and I don't think the Texas Rangers price is going to be the New York Yankees price, is going to be the L.A. Dodgers price, because... Rivals within the division. I don't think that price is going to be... Mirrored with the other teams that are going to be involved in that Shohei Ohtani race. So now let's talk about this Zach Martin thing. Because it's pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> Zach Martin, one of the best offensive linemen in all of football. But... He's been a franchise cornerstone for a long time now. Um, We got word from ESPN's Adam Schefter kind of out of nowhere just early in the morning at like 7, 8 in the morning on Wednesday that, uh, hey, the six-time all-pro guard and team captain that you're accustomed to just seeing go to work and kind of mind his business, uh, he's considering not reporting to training camp because of unhappiness with his current contract situation and the team's quote-unquote, lack of interest in restructuring it. Uh, Again, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, uh, Martin says he is, quote, woefully underpaid relative to the current market, Uh, a source told ESPN. So he's scheduled to make about $7 million less this season than the NFL's top paid guards. Chris Lindstrom of the Falcons, Quentin Nelson of the Colts, they average at 20 million dollars per season. Zach Martin around 13 million. Last season was a sixth first team all-pro nod for Zach Martin at age 32. is among the most highly productive players at any position. He is almost always available. He is so consistent. I think he was only charged with like a half sack given up last year. Um 96% pass block win rate. Eighth best clip in the league. 73.8% run block win rate. Not among the top 10, but really impressive nonetheless. Um Apparently, we heard brief discussions at the Combine went down in February about reworking the seven-year deal he signed a long time ago. Uh It was $93 million, about $93.5 million at the time. And that's the problem with these kind of deals that the Cowboys love to sign people to, is these long-term deals. They end up being bargains for the team, but not great for the player. So this inevitably happens. Uh, And it happens with any team that locks down these franchise cornerstones to long, long long-term deals. These deals end up looking dumb to the players. And, look, I'm all for the players getting their money. I always will be. So I'm not even really going to defend Dallas here. But I do have empathy because uh, you are hopeful to sign other pro bowlers like CeeDee Lamb and Trayvon Diggs. Then you would also like to get a deal done for your right tackle, Terrence Steele, who is coming off of a major knee injury. So those negotiations could be weird. And guess what? Next offseason, Micah Parsons is going to be asking for a blank check. And then you need to redo Dak Prescott's deal. There is a lot on the agenda for Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones, uh, Matt Pacifica, like everyone in that front office that deals with player personnel. Zach Martin has missed just eight games in his career. He's been to the Pro Bowl as many times. The only guard with more Pro Bowl appearances in team history is Hall of Famer Larry Allen with nine. Zach Martin deserves all of the money. There is no question about that. And the reason I'm not overly concerned is because I think the Cowboys realize that. And I think this is going to get resolved pretty quickly. Um... I could be wrong there on the timeline. Like, I don't have a timeline when I think this is going to be done. I don't. But I do think just in, the t- in terms of relativity, this is going to get done. Part of it, because the new collective bargaining agreement from a couple years ago states that teams can no longer waive fines for players missing uh, training camp. So he, Zach Martin is going to lose $50,000 per day he misses. So it's going to get costly for Zach Martin, who already isn't making as much as the other highest-paid guards in the league. But it used to be when these holdouts happened, the teams would just say, hey, that's fine. We'll get this done. They get the deal done. Hey, remember those fines? We will waive them. Teams can't do that anymore. So Zach Martin could cost himself a lot of money here. So I think something's going to give here. And I think the fact that he will be losing money because of this might just make him even more mad and say, you know what, I'm already in the hole. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to die on this hill until you give me my new deal. And that's where it could get contentious. How contentious? I don't know. But this is something that needs to get resolved very quickly because that is a very important piece of that offense, especially an offense that is undergoing changes that you don't exactly know what they're going to look like and how it's going to work. You need a consistent piece there in Zach Martin. Also in the NFL... And related to the Cowboys, Tony Pollard was not able to get a long-term deal knocked out at the deadline for negotiation on the franchise tag. He already signed his tender, so he is on the books this year for about $10 million, just over that. But uh, he won't be going anywhere, and he already reported to OTAs and everything, so there was no hard feelings there. But apparently, according to reports, a deal was never close. They never even had serious talks. It was just a, hey, you're getting this deal. Deal with it. It's a massive pay raise for Tony Pollard, so I bet he was like, cool. (laughs) That is fine by me. But Saquon Barkley did not get a long-term deal. Josh Jacobs, the NFL's leading rusher last year, did not get a long-term deal on the franchise tag. NFL running backs are getting screwed. There is a crime being committed against these NFL running backs. And it needs to be fixed. There is no reason for star players and guys that are carrying offenses and carrying franchises to be getting screwed in the way that they are right now. Saquon Barkley has been doing everything he can to keep the New York Football Giants relevant and afloat. And they gave Danny freaking dimes, Daniel Jones, 40 million a year. But they won't give Saquon Barkley anything near market value. Like we got reports that he wasn't even looking to break records and set the market because he has injury history. He knows that, his agency knows that. He just wanted long-term security. Because of that injury history. Because the way that this running back position has been abused by GMs and player personnel managers here across the National Football League. The shelf life is getting shorter and shorter for these guys. And it's not their fault. So how do we fix this? There's only a few options right now that I can think of. Like maybe the running back position, the draft eligibility changes from three years to two, or even one, three years removed from high school is the current draft uh, eligibility requirement. So that means for three years, college coaches are absolutely running their top backs into the ground and just ruining that tread on the tires. And then they have to go to the NFL where the game gets even more intense, and then by the time their four years or five with a fifth-year option in the first round are done, they are not nearly as productive. So maybe you make it to where these guys are getting into the league at 19, 20, instead of 21, 22, and they're still fresh. They're, they still have time to get a second contract. And then the other idea would be maybe running back contracts are shorter. Maybe if you draft a running back, they get two-year deals instead of four-year deals. And then if you draft them in the first round, maybe it's a two-year and then the team option for a third year. Or maybe that's when you get the full four years is if you draft them in the first round. So then teams aren't tempted to just draft and dump. And then they won't be as scared to draft in the first round either something's got to be done about this because the running back position is still pivotal. Like, I see articles when I'm prepping for this episode about, like, the NFL running back market is bottomed out because it's going, you know, more and more towards a pass-first league. Sure, teams are throwing the ball a lot nowadays, but the reliability, the, the way teams are relying on the run game, some of the situational football... And the usage of running backs in situational football is on par with what it was back in the 80s. Back in the 90s when running backs were the heart and soul of the team. Some of the numbers, some of the stats are matching up. So with NFL running backs, it doesn't make sense to me that they're just being so undermined and so devalued. I get it. Some of the system sucks. Some of the system just allows for these teams to do that, but sometimes it's unwarranted. Like Josh Jacobs hasn't had major injury history. He's had injury history. I believe he had like that wrist injury last year. He might have had like some other soft tissue stuff, but nothing major. Saquon Barkley, ACLs. You know, I get that. But part of that is just the taxing nature of the position and the fact that he has to go through four years of a contract and then a fifth-year option to even see the light of day. I just think it's unfair what's happening to NFL running backs. I think it's really unfair. Look at Ezekiel Elliott locally. The Cowboys wore him down and ran him into the ground. And yes, they gave him a second deal. But still, just look at his usage the first few years and how the yards per carry started to go down. The burst just from the eye test started to go down. That's what NFL teams do. That is their motto. That is the formula. You run them to the ground until you can say in negotiations, you are not the same player that you used to be. It's kind of evil. It's kind of evil. That's my two cents on the running back position. I hope we're on the same wavelength here. Uh, I know there are some very anti-running back characters out there, which I I get the argument, but I think it's immoral (laughs) at the end of the day. I think there are things that can be done to negate that at the end of the day. So, with the NFL running back position, hopefully there is positive change on the horizon. Hopefully for guys like Tony Pollard and company, and even Saquon Barkley. I know he's in the division, but still, I just want to see these guys get taken care of. And personally, I'm a fan of the running back position. I think it's one of the more fun positions in football. So, really intrigued to see if any changes are made uh, fundamentally, when it comes to running backs, their usage, and more, and we are back in the bedroom setting. Pause. Um, because technology does not want to work with me in ways that uh, I wish it would, so we are back at home recording to get better uh, audio quality here as we welcome in a good friend of mine and I like to call him the social media mogul of DFW Sports. He is Michael Beer. Good enough to join us here on AM on the FM. Michael, so much to get to here. But first, uh, we haven't really talked much recently. We we do almost daily like texting, but we haven't spoken uh, voice to voice. How's it going?
1: It's going good. Uh, real quick, for for I ramble on, I did have to mute my mic there for a second to laugh at that pause, because that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, but no, it's been going great. Um, I have just been going through the motions, um, entering the last few months of, of college, and um, it, it has been a journey. Like I, I don't think I've had a free day. I'm, I'm approaching now two months without a day where I can just sleep in until two p.m., which I usually do, but then not have any responsibility after. <sighs> so
0: it's it's been a it's been one hell of a ride this this summer. I feel you with the the school thing. Just uh, working for December is what I'm doing. So. Very much looking forward to that. It's going to be up when we both get out of here, though. It's going to be fun. Um, So for those who aren't familiar with Michael and for here in the creator spotlight, this is going to be a bit of a segment where we get to know some of the faces that you might or might not know around the media circuit. And Michael, I'm sure, has popped up on your uh, on your Twitter timeline at least once because he has had multiple tweets go nuclear, uh, most recently with the all-star break and everything, uh, the all-star game festivities going down in Seattle. Michael had a few banger tweets that, uh, there was one about the lack of Ranger Jersey representation that each time I look, there's just another hundred thousand added, uh, to the total that thing. Last I checked, uh, Last week was close to 2 million impressions, Uh, so he is all over the place. He is a student at Full Sail University under Dan Patrick's School of Broadcasting, so he's like one of us. Um, And I've known him for many, many years now, so he is a, a face, a voice, and a name that you should get to know Uh, pretty quickly, if I do say so, in my own humble opinion. But um, my first question for you, just it's kind of like a get-to-know-you thing for the listener base uh, that might come across this. When did you decide sports media was kind of going to be the rest of your life? Because I think a lot of us that chose this kind of career field had like that one light bulb moment or maybe just that like period of life that was like a light bulb period where it was just like, yeah, this is getting more and more interesting. This is getting more and more fun. I think this is going to be my thing. When did you decide that sports media was the thing for you? So I think there was two points in my life. The first one was
1: uh, probably around the same time as you Uh, in high school. We both learned under An awesome man, Nathan Wood, former host at 105 Through the Fan. We went through his program, 99.9 The Wild, and that was kind of like my introduction into sports media. And it's so cool that I got to experience that at age 16, 17 years old. And having experienced it, seeing what it's like to run a a radio show um, at such a, a young age was like, wow, this is really cool. I can do this with my life. That's probably when I, I first wanted to do it. But then after high school came a, a couple gap years because I was really lazy for a little bit there, but I did get to enjoy life. I got to go to the entire 2020 World Series. I went up to Kansas City <laughs> a few times for some Chiefs games. It was a blast. But at the end of that two years of just being lazy and cashiering at Target, I was like, hey, like if I want to do something, if I want to get back to the excitement and joy that I experienced in high school – I need to do something about that, so that's when I enrolled here at uh, at Full Sail University in Orlando, which is where I've been living the past year and a half, and and I'm ready to get out of here in, in four or five months. Uh, but that's it was probably in the middle of uh, my junior senior year of high school, and then uh, right after that gap, last gap year ended, which I, when I realized like I want to do this with my life.
0: So you mentioned it a little bit. I mentioned it a little bit. The. Full Sail University experience. That's a very interesting uh, college campus that I've been familiar with for years and years because there's so many different technical uh, directions that you can go at that school. Very hands-on and very unique experiences. So in that Dan Patrick School of Broadcasting and everything that goes in in between that, uh, what has that experience been like? And you know some of the things that you've learned, like do you think that this has been a major key to some of the success you've had recently? Do you think that some of the stuff you learned along the way is going to be helpful down the road? Or are you kind of viewing it sort of like I am at UTA where it's just like, it's another check, uh, a box that I need to check rather and get past it. Has this been sort of a helpful experience for you?
1: Absolutely. Going into it, I think was really really unsure about it because a four-year degree a new class every month for 20 months and again you're getting a four-year degree in less than two years that was like kind of like kind of set off a red flag for me and through the first (laughs) year you kind of go through these introductory introductory classes and and some gen eds and it was just kind of like like this feels more like a a check the box and move on thing but now ever since probably uh, I want to say January February of this year I'm I'm getting into the later stages of the program where you're starting to work more closely with the people that you see later on um in the sports casting program you know guys like Gus Ramsey who is a, a producing legend uh did work at ESPN for 20 years uh you've got you know multiple people from across the country uh, one of my Recent instructors, Debbie Taylor, was a a sideline reporter, similar to what Emily Jones does. Uh, she did it for the Nationals for like five, six, seven years. Uh, my next instructor, Gordy Hershiser, brother of Earl Hershiser, I, I believe worked for uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers pre and post for some time. So people from all around the country and, and all sorts of different backgrounds giving you their input. and And it's now to the point where you're taking it super, super seriously, like, you know, you have a month to learn these things. I have, I think, four classes, four sports casting classes left in the program, and each one is something new. Next month, I'm learning stand-ups. After that, it'll be a couple live shows. After that, it'll be more OBS-based, uh, kind of like your own thing. And then after that's the final month where you have a show every single day. So um, it's, it's definitely gone from, to in short uh, answer your question, gone from a check of the box to... Uh, an extremely helpful learning opportunity. And by far I've, I've gotten the most opportunity here um, that I feel like I, I would have chosen anywhere else.
0: Do you ever regret choosing this career field?
1: Man, that's such a, such a tough question to answer. Cause I'm still yelling. I haven't even graduated college yet. Um, <laughs> I, I will say though, like I was in Seattle last week, you mentioned it for the all-star game with, uh, with foul territory and we had worked 12 to 16 hours a day every day for like three, four days in a row, if I can remember correctly. I mean, I was only getting like three hours of sleep max at night. And I, I remember walking into the set the last day we did a show, it was Tuesday for the All-Star Game. And my boss, uh, Scott Braun, looks at me, he's like, tired, Michael? And I was like, hell yeah. He's like, welcome to sports. And I was just amen. like, I was just like,
0: amen.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was just like. Yeah, <laughs> and then I made a coffee run because I'm an intern, and I woke up the rest of the day. But no, like, there you go. That 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 experience was like kind of like the slap in the face. Like, oh, you're here, you know, welcome to the industry. And then I got back, and and my instructor this past month who does. Uh, he hosts Orlando radio. He's been in the Orlando market for, or the, the city of Orlando, for the past like twenty years. It was like, I was telling him everything I just told you, and he was like, "Hey, like, you know, sometimes it's going to be stressful. You're going to feel like, you know, you went an opposite route, but at the end of the day," and he was talking to me specifically. He's like, "Michael, you're watching baseball right now for work." So, um, you know, just keep in mind, it could be worse. So I don't, I don't think I've, there's moments where I'll like sigh, but I don't think at the end of the day, I'll ever regret choosing this career path. Cause a nine to five desk job in downtown Dallas is like my biggest fear. <laughs>
0: I've, I've never related so hard, but look at you still all bright eyed and bushy tailed about everything. Uh, give it a couple of years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, um, talking about career based stuff, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you still see yourself really involved in this social media game that you've really kind of become accustomed to? Do you see yourself, you know, anchoring sports? Do you see yourself doing play-by-play, sidelines? Do you see yourself being a studio analyst? Do you see yourself in radio, podcasting? 10 years from now, where is Michael Beer?
1: That is such a good question. I honestly I don't think I have an answer for you right now because I am I am really enjoying the social media stuff. I came mm. into the sports casting program here at Full Sail with the idea that I had a tunnel vision towards being on the radio. It's funny. This story I haven't really told many people, but I'll tell it here on this podcast. If you remember correctly, a few years ago, I applied for a board out position at the fan. Yep. And it ended up being given to someone else. I don't remember their name. I don't even think I got their name, but that was what kind of like prompted me to like get up off my butt and, and do something about it. So that was the initial idea coming into school. Again, it was like, okay, I want to be on the radio. I want to, I, I want to be on air. But again, like I, I've had this social media internship that I've leveled up and really from cutting clips to now operating a, a Twitter for the show uh, for the past six months and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm getting into the part of the program now though, where we're, we're hosting shows every single day. And it's awesome that I'm going to be able to do that during the Cowboys season and during the major league baseball playoffs when the Rangers are good, that's going to be awesome. I can't Mm -hmm. wait. So I guess we'll kind of, we'll figure it out as I go. I mean, a few months ago, I was like, I was pretty set on the idea that I'm going to go work somewhere in Idaho in a small market for a few years. But now I'm thinking like, Hey, (laughs) like, this this internship, like I'm working around so many great people. The All Star Game is in Texas next year. That's another great opportunity I'll have to network and experience. So, like, who the hell knows? I know for sure I'm going back to the Metroplex after I graduate. But what what happens beyond that, man? I'm I'm just going with the flow. <laughs> whatever whatever check uh, opens up for me first.
0: Yeah, and you you bring up a great point there because really. I think for the better the industry is starting to evolve to a point where the credentials and the the resume, you know, subject lines aren't going to matter as much to program directors when they see that there's someone that just wants it more than everyone else, you know, like you hear it in scouting all the time with players in pro sports, you know, coming out of college, it's like, he might not be the most experienced guy. He only played 15 minutes a game, you know, at Duke or whatever, but, You know, this guy just wanted it more than everyone else. So, you know, you don't have to assume the whole small market thing anymore. It's almost a choice. (laughs) Like if you want to go that route, you can go that route. It's really interesting how this field is evolving. And I think it's a little bit too late, but I'm glad it's evolving now. Um, He's Michael Beer joining us here on AM on the FM. And. Uh, let's dive in a little bit more since you brought it up. The whole foul territory internship that you've gotten doing social for them, actually working with the show. Um, One, how did this come to be? Uh, You know, how did this unfold? How did you get your foot in the door? And two, what are some of the biggest things you've taken away from it so far? Some of the biggest lessons you might have learned, some of the most fun you might have had. What do you think is going to stick with you as you move forward into, uh, you know, deeper into this field?
1: So, to answer your first question, uh, it was, I think, early February. I got an email from my program director, again, Gus Ramsey. And he had mentioned that a former colleague of his, Mark Wiener and a former colleague of Mark's Scott Braun, who had just gotten, uh, gotten through at MLB network, Scott's contract, uh, re- reached its end. Uh, were getting together, uh, with a bunch of people that had previously left the network to create a baseball show with AJ Przinski and Eric Kratz and Brock Holt, Lorenzo Kane, um, Todd Frazier, Adam Jones, among other former players that host, um, and that it was going to be based here in Orlando. So I was like, hell yeah, because I grew up watching MLB Network. I, I just did a sit down with Scott yesterday, and I mentioned to him, I was like, dude, I don't think you realize, th- like, I know you understand that the demographic of MLB Network is like ages 60 plus, but like there was that very small percent of like young kids, I'm talking like 12, 13 year old kids who'd watch. And I was in that I would come home from school. Kids would turn on their Playstations, their Xboxes. They'd play call of duty. I'd come home. I'd turn on MLB tonight and I'd watch until the last hour of quick pitch. In fact, I remember I'd come home and I catch the last five minutes of intentional talk. Then it would flip to the early showing if MLB tonight were my boss right now, Scott Braun would host those shows. And I watched that for years. Um, so in working with them now to answer your second question, I think the biggest thing I've learned is, uh, you know how how easy you have to take things. I mean, going into it, I was super serious. You know, I have to make an impression. Head down, uh, let's just run at the wall. Like I, I need to impress them, and I did. I feel like I did a pretty good job of impressing them. But I, I also feel like I was doing it, taking it a little too seriously. Like. Watching them in Seattle, uh, I'll give you an example. The first night we were there, we we found out that the internet uh, from where we were streaming wasn't going to be able to support our software. So I had to sit down with our producer and I had to teach him the software OBS for a good two and a half hours. And what I found really odd, everyone pretty much everyone on of the production side was in that room and nobody was panicking not a single person was panicking every everyone was acting like everything was just fine and i was like why the hell are you guys not worried we spent all this money to come out here we might not even be able to do a show but they were all just fine and that's that's be, that's been like kind of like the constant feeling throughout this this 4 or 5 month journey of of working with him it's like no matter what goes wrong we had Mike Trout on a few uh few weeks ago the internet was bad but like nobody it wasn't noticeable nobody like you know made a scene was angry like everyone was just like you know things happen move on um and I think just taking it easy and 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 not taking it super seriously is probably my biggest takeaway because that at the end of the day will will get you results you want.
0: I love that story, you know, the OBS thing, the Mike Trout thing, because especially like, once you start getting into the actual like workforce of production specifically, I remember after I got hired, one of the guys that was training me, the one of the first like lessons he taught me was just one of those like, hey, keep this in the back of your head for the rest of time kind of thing. It was, you know, you don't get paid for what you show up to do for five hours at a time, six hours, four hours, whatever your shift length is, you know, the pushing the buttons, the playing the sounds, the the funny drops, the doing the live reads. You don't get paid for that. You get paid for when things go south. And how fast can you fix them and how reasonably can you fix them? That's what you get paid to do. That's how you earn your money is by putting out the fires whenever they pop up. So yeah, it's amazing how some of these people can just stay so level headed and so even keel in the face of adversity. And I was just talking to one of the newer guys at my job earlier this week, and he was kind of saying the same thing about me. Like, dude, you just, this stuff seems so easy to you. You're you're so laid back during network broadcasts. I'm like, I mean, I've already thought of every scenario of every little thing that can go wrong. And I have a backup plan for each and every one of those scenarios. So I'm going to jump through any hurdle that I have to, to make sure this broadcast finishes on time and ends cleanly. So it's, it's very much, it's like a war of attrition when it comes to climbing up the ranks. So I'm glad you're getting to get a taste of that with uh, foul territory, which is a fantastic show, by the way, ever since you got hired, I was like, okay, I got to check these, these guys out because obviously it was a bunch of guys I grew up watching. So it was pretty cool. And then, Hey, my buddy's running the so- social team and he, uh, he gave me a follow on Twitter and everything. I got to go show love now, don't I? And <laughs> it's an incredible, incredible program. It really is. It's a fun time. It's a fun watch. And, that's kind of in my mind, kind of going off on a tangent here, but, um, that's, that's what I think baseball needs. Like just in the grand scheme of things, you just need people having fun with it on a grand scale like that. So people can see it and be like, these guys are having the time of their lives talking about baseball and current baseball. Why not give it a shot? Why I'm going to sit down and watch Sunday night baseball and see what the heck happens. So, uh. I, I do think that baseball in general has taken a good turn, especially with the rule changes. So I guess that's a, another kind of random question I'm going to ask you. What do you think of, think about the state of baseball right now, especially after the rule changes? Because I I say this almost every week on my radio shows. like I find myself coming home from work on Sunday and actually turning on ESPN or turning on Peacock to watch these national games of the week just because I'm enjoying baseball again, even when the Rangers aren't involved in these national broadcasts, I'm like, Hey, it's a Sunday night. I'm chilling. Let's watch some baseball. So do you think the game's finally starting to like heal in a sense?
1: Absolutely. Um, Very, very similar to you in the sense that I am genuinely enjoying coming home after a long day and turning on Sunday night baseball, or uh, maybe Fox is doing a game late window on Tuesday And I'll turn that on if the Rangers run on. Of course, I'm watching the Rangers every day. And now this might have to do with the fact that I'm my current internship is is baseball related and it probably does. But I don't think I've ever sat around this long and have been disinvested in the sport. Uh, I think Rob Manfred, as as much as people dislike the man, deserves a lot of credit for taking baseball and turning it into something very enjoyable. Now, his uh, I don't know if you caught this. I'm, I'm sure you did, but. Um, it sounds like he's going to get another term as commissioner. And I'm very Mm -hmm. interested to see what he does with that. Keep in mind, you know, a lot of people don't understand or don't realize that Manfred works for the owners. So as much as the commissioner, um, you know, in a lot of people's eyes should be for the sport at the end of the day, the results and and the reason why he's getting another term is because he's making money for the owners. Um, so I'm interested to see if in this next term, as he's aging, because he has the security of another one, because he has the security of reelection, does he kind of turn it into a legacy thing for himself? This is something they talked about today on Foul Territory, or does he stick with uh, stick with the, uh, the owners and kind of hide behind them? But I, I, I do still want to give him credit, like I said, though, because he has made baseball a very enjoyable sport, and um, I'm excited to see what he does with it next.
0: So some more opinion-based questions, trying to pick your brain a little bit. This one's a bit more personal in the sense of work life and I guess uh, your social media presence that has just been nuclear as of late. Uh, you know, people can go to... Uh, your Twitter bio and find a link to your portfolio and see some of the bigger tweets that you've had, some of the bigger impressions that you've made on social media. That's at Michael J beer, B I E R uh, on Twitter. And you can find his portfolio Um, out of all those tweets that have gone nuclear of yours, because I can't even count how many you've had. Neither can I, by the way, (laughs) which is a, incredible flex that is an awesome flex which tweet if you could pinpoint one do you think you are the most proud of right now i know it's like trying to pick your favorite child but which tweet right now in this moment as we're recording this are you like that was my biggest banger and i'm so proud of it
1: man that is that is a good question (laughs) because i have had a lot of them uh i think right now the biggest one i have is a reply to antonio brown that got 7.5k and then my own standalone was the one about dak and dalton Schultz. As dak raved about kyle pitts and that one got 6.5 those are only my biggest so i think to answer your question my favorite is probably not one singular tweet but any tweet that that riles up astros fans i <laughs> love I love getting Astros fans and it's been a, a, a whole thing with them all summer dating back to that, uh, a writ that series they had uh, at the end of June and into July and even a little bit before that. But it's so fun to, to for me personally, because I don't take social media that seriously. Okay. Like I might reply to someone if they make a personal attack against me, but very rarely do I ever, you know, people just try to get reactions and I don't like with the whole, like I've been ratioed before. It doesn't really bother me. <laughs> what, what I love most about that, though, because when you get a tweet that has a ton of Astros fans or even football season's coming up, I'll, I'll imagine the same type of thing will happen uh, with Eagles fans. It's just like it's it's fun to see a rivalry um, take place in your own timeline. Like uh, you created a big discussion. That's just so cool to see uh, the Rangers and, and Astros specifically. I mean, we haven't. those two teams haven't really been competitive in in six seven years at the same time so to to kind of pioneer uh at the time of the series happening to to pioneer tweets that were rangers and astros fans came together some respectfully some disrespectfully i don't necessarily side with the disrespectful people but those respectful debates and those sarcastic engagements um it's just fulfilling to see that it's fulfilling to see Uh, The Rangers being relevant again because other people are reactionary to tweets about them.
0: Flipping sports, Cowboys reporting to camp next week at the time of this recording. So in a matter of days and depending on when you're listening to this, Cowboys might already be in Oxnard, California, uh, getting things ready to go for the 2023-2024 season. Uh, lot of change throughout the Cowboys organizationally. You have even down to the analytics team, new hirings, all kinds of movement in terms of personnel. McCarthy taking over play calling. Big question. Uh, kind of broad. You can take this wherever you want to. Uh, Cowboys confidence meter. How confident are you in the team right now as it stands? How excited are you? Just overall thoughts on what we are getting ready to see here as the season wanes closer. Just as
1: confident as both me and you have been in years past. I don't think anything's really changed. If you look at their roster, they've gotten better. Uh, The offensive line is probably my biggest question because you get a a, a lot of shuffling going on there. Of course, the recent news uh, relating to Zach Martin is kind of concerning. Um, I don't want to go too deep into that because I think that's kind of well documented uh, heading into camp. Is like everyone kind of has the same question of you know, where's everyone going to play? That's probably my biggest concern. But outside of that, I mean, the offensive line still looks good on paper. And I'm looking at the death chart right now. This team, they look just as good from a talent perspective as they did the year they won 12 games uh, or the past year because they've, they've won 12 games uh, two years in a row, correct? Yeah. Yep. So the past years, rather that they they've won twelve games, um, you know, I, I don't I don't really think there's any reason to feel any different. Uh, the Eagles are. I still think probably the more talented team in the division, but the Cowboys are not far behind and for good reason. They've got a lot of talented players and uh, the coaching staff has, has done a very good job the past two years that there's no reason in my opinion to, if if you see someone on social, this is what I think. If you see someone on social media that's complaining or that's worrying, they're just bored, man. Like what has this team other than in the playoffs uh, done to, to, for, for you to not feel confident in them coming into a season, you, you can feel a different way in January, but coming into a season for a regular season uh, perspective angle, you know, what have they done to, to, to cause you to have to worry nothing over the past years.
0: It's actually a great point. Like the confidence meter is usually pretty high. I think most teams fan bases is pretty high at the beginning of the season going into training camp, what have you, but they, that's a great point. They haven't in recent years really done anything to make us say, man, man, not feeling it this year uh the, maybe after the Amari Cooper absence you know after he was traded going into that first off season without him that's maybe the one time that I had any kind of question but yeah I think on paper it was a pretty solid off season, and I think we're gonna be in for some fun this year how many games are you planning on going to this year
1: it's gonna be a light year for me. I'm not gonna lie. Oh. like I mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, I've got I've got the last few months of the program coming up. I've now got this internship that I've, I'm working tirelessly at. Um, the, the the during NFL season, I'm going to be a very very busy man, as if I am not one already. Uh, so probably right now, I'm, I'm just looking at the the Jets game, the home opener in week two maybe the dolphins and Cowboys on December 24th. I'm still here. I graduate about a week before that. So decide on whether or not I I have my apartment until the end of December. So we'll decide if I I'll decide if I leave early or not. So right now it's probably just those two games. And one of them is in question. Um, a a lot of what I'm going to do that relates to the Cowboys isn't so much so going and watching the games, but doing those, those shows as I mentioned every day in, in October and December over, you know, what's going on. Uh, but, you know, it'll be fun. I'll, I'll, I'll if I'm not working in sports in some fashion for football or, or for them, uh, you know, beyond next year, I'm sure I'll get back to going to like eight, nine games a year uh, in 2024.
0: Favorite sports venue you have ever been to any sport, baseball, football, anything favorite sports venue?
1: Man, uh, I've been to a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. I- I'm going to go. i
0: to I'm gonna go with Bush Stadium in
1: St. Louis. That is number Ooh. one on my list of nineteen. Excuse me, twenty now because I, I was at T-Mobile uh, just <laughs> last fuck. week. Uh, <laughs> that that's that's number one on the list of twenty. Um, if that's that place is just a baseball heaven. As far as NFL stadiums, I I unpopular opinion. I like US Bank Stadium in Minnesota over AT&T Stadium, which Ooh. is the second on my list. Um, I, that place is just magnificent and i believe not the at&t stadium isn't an engineering marvel but us bank stadium i think is a little bit more um but no like it, i love bush stadium i i love the the classic baseball stadiums the wrigley fields uh now truest park in atlanta um the old Texas stadium that unfortunately uh, the Rangers no longer play in because you would be searing in heat during a day game, but you're just like the classic yeah. baseball stadiums. And I've been to pretty much every stadium on the East coast and, in, uh, in both the AL and NL central with a few outliers. So if there's any classic stadium in there, uh, that's probably, you know, among my favorites, but definitely Bush stadium. Texas
0: Best food you have had at a sports venue is and belongs to what team? Man, I'm going to go I'm going to go with the
1: brisket mac and cheese at Globe Life Field. I know that's like okay. not the answer you were expecting at all. I know. I know. But like genuinely like that that stuff slaps I yeah could I if I could have that every day for the rest of my life I absolutely would now now I will say this a lot of the stadiums that I visited on the east coast I visited when I was like 13 or 14 years old so like I was just going for like a hot dog and some french fries like I wasn't like looking to see what the, <laughs> the big food item was but recently in Seattle uh they were selling a, a their food specialty item is a a cup of crickets like like toasted seasoned crickets. Okay. Uh, I I had one. It was terrible. So definitely, <laughs> definitely not that. I think I got like a wing and a foot or a leg stuck in my teeth and it was just, disgusting. I wanted, I wanted to throw up. So definitely not that, but yeah, that, that brisket mac and cheese, which again is not, I know is not the answer you were expecting, but that, that stuff slaps.
0: It's totally okay though, because global life has fantastic food and how can you go wrong with brisket mac and cheese? Like as long as the brisket is not terribly cooked wrong it's gonna hit different so i i don't mind that at all i still need to try the hurtados at the ballpark too
1: i haven't tried those either i need to as well
0: yeah i need to try that there's a lot of stuff like pretty much any of the new food from this season i have not tried i've tried some of the other food from like last year that got introduced and i still have a few things on the bucket list I still need to get a team together to take down the boomstick uh, Hey, because- hey uh
1: I'll be uh, I'll be home in September. Uh, that's one of my uh, months where I don't have a sportscasting class. So um, I know foul territory wants me to to work Ranger games, but if there's ever a day that that I'm not, let's go tackle that thing together.
0: Yeah, let's do it, and we can document it on social media because yes. I watched I watched my coworker take down the Boomstick Burger by himself, and that is ridiculous. Yes. Uh, he had like a certain amount of time to do it. I don't remember what the exact amount. Of, I think it was like two hours and something like two hours and eight minutes to take it all down. He took down the entire thing and probably five minutes after he finished eating it, he disappeared for like 20 minutes and he came back from the dead, AKA the bathroom. And his face was just white. Like (laughs) it it looked like he had seen a ghost and he was just during the commercial breaks, just audibly in pain. (laughs) So I want to actually enjoy my food, right. so I don't want to uh, try to force myself to take down the whole thing by myself. But
1: right. uh, <laughs> That's why we're tag teaming it here in a, yeah. a few months.
0: Tag teaming a boomstick is crazy, not going to lie. But
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Michael, I appreciate the time, my friend. Before you go, please tag any social medias, any place that people can keep track of what you're up to and just uh, show you some love on the socials
1: yeah the really the biggest and only one is my twitter at michael j beer um and i have of course as alec mentioned earlier my portfolio page if you search deep enough in there you can find my instagram and and uh, linkedin which i don't typically give out um so you know if you you care enough you can go find those but like again like the biggest one is just twitter at michael j beer b-i-e-r you can find pretty much anything and everything i put out
0: right there And send him all of the offer letters and give him all of the money if you are going to go find his LinkedIn, because I promise the ROI will be worth it. Again, Michael, uh, appreciate the time, brother. Good to talk to you. Hope to see you soon and uh, keep killing it on Twitter and keep pissing off Astros fans, because trust me, all of the guys in the local media circuit love the work that you're doing. So just keep it up, man. Very humbling. Thank you so much for having me on. And just like that, we are back to the studio setting. Uh big thanks again to Michael Beer that is at Michael J. Beer on Twitter for joining the program. Dear friend of mine, known him for many years, and he is a name that you should know. And if you don't, make sure you do, because um the meteoric rise on social media is just the beginning for him. But Just a few last things before we wrap up this week's edition of AM on the FM. I'm going to do this, try my best to do this every episode, a mental health checkpoint here. Um, Take care of yourself today, please. Uh, Check in on someone that you love as well. You never know when that, you know, hey, how's it going? You never know when that message, when that checkup uh, could potentially save a life. And if not, just, you know, provide a light at the end of the tunnel for someone who may be struggling. So uh, take some time for you today. Do something for you and do something for someone else today. Love each other. Love yourself. Um, And I love that I get to do this. I love that I have the platform to be able to, you know, advocate for that. I'm not acting like I'm an A-list celebrity or anything, but nonetheless, I still have the ability to reach a few different people. So going to try to do this, try to make this a common thing, especially like, I'll be honest, it was a rough week for me personally, just mentally, just very draining week. So I'm comfortable with, you know, speaking those things, verbalizing those things to hopefully help someone like you or someone around you to be a little bit nicer to yourself in turn. That would be pretty, pretty cool in my book. But Let's wrap up with a little bit of New Music Friday. Uh, not too much out there. There's a little bit, uh, obviously, with the Barbie movie out now. Um, still got to decide when I'm going to try to do the Barbenheimer experience, if you will. Um, the soundtrack is out. Tons of big names from Billie Eilish to all kinds of different people. Mark Ronson uh, kind of directing the creative nature of that soundtrack. So I bet it's fantastic. I'll stop down and listen to it eventually. I kind of want to see the movie first because I feel like with soundtracks a lot of the time, you need to get the effect of the song and the placement of when it is introduced. So I'm going to wait. I'll wait on that. But what I did not wait to listen to this morning, uh, At about 3 in the morning, so I had to go re-listen a couple times to try to refresh myself, was K-pop by Travis Scott featuring Bad Bunny and The Weeknd. And it's a good song. Uh, Like, I'm not going to hype it up too much. I think it's a good song. Uh, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's eh. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a good song. You know, like, it, I'll give it an A-. minus. Obviously, with the three huge names on the record, I on the track, I expected something, uh, not earth, you know, world-breaking and, like, earth-shattering, but I did expect something pretty big. Uh, and I think it delivered in most aspects. It just, it doesn't feel like a Travis Scott song to me like his cadence, his flow, his wordplay, it's all there, but it feels like a bad bunny song. It really does. It feels catered to bad bunny which I kind of understand when you're working with a latin artist that predominantly sings and speaks, you know, spanish. I get it. But at the same time, uh the latin beat Just didn't feel Travis at all, but Travis being Travis, Mike Dean producing, uh, The weekend being who he is, I feel like they all can kind of fit on anything as long as the situation is right. So I think it didn't feel too out of place. It just didn't feel like a Travis song. And maybe once we get Utopia, which is apparently supposed to be at the end of the month, I believe the exact day. Would be the twenty eighth. We're supposed to get that and Austin by Post Malone on the same day. That's incredible. But I think if it, it, it it's weird because Travis mentioned there's a video of him in the studio making this song, and he said that he wanted something a little less intense before you open the gates to Utopia, and it gets more intense, it gets harder, it gets deeper, it gets louder. And that makes sense. So maybe we're going to get some sort of transition, you know, from song to song, you know, kind of sandwich K-pop in between an opener and then a transition into the darker side of Utopia. I don't know. But either way, it's a good song. But That's about it. Uh, everybody delivered. I just don't think it over-delivered in the way that I kind of hoped it would. Um, so I'm not mad at it. it. Is is it going to go in the playlist? Absolutely. You can bet your bottom dollar it is going to go into the playlist. Uh, it already is, but is it going to be in rotation? Yeah, it will be. It'll be played at the gym. It'll be played going down 67 on the way home. It will. I'm excited for the album, though, and there's a lot of good music coming out here to end the year and to kind of get into this like third quarter, if you will, of the of the 2023 calendar year. So there's a little bit of New Music Friday. Uh, Really excited for what is to come. Really excited to get back in the booth next week and chat with all of you. Again, big thanks to Michael Beer for joining the program today to kind of make himself familiar and make you, the listener, familiar with his work and who he is and what he is trying to do. Excited for what is to come with him and hopefully both of us in future collaborations. But. That'll be it for me. Thanks for stopping by on this week's edition of AM on the FM. Remember, take care of yourselves. Be nice to your neighbors. Be nice to those around you. We'll catch you guys next week. It's AM on the FM.